Psalm 119. We'll be looking at verse 57 through 64. One of my favorite letters to say, partly because I'm not sure there's much like it in English. Faith, you have to do that. So if you were listening to this in the original, you would hear that for each verse. And this is a wonderful verse, wonderful portion of this psalm. And see if you can identify a theme or perhaps themes through this section, verses 57 through 64. David writes, the Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And praise the Lord, his word stands forever. This is God's word. Can you see a theme? Any words that reappear or a theme that reappears? Okay, drawing near to the Lord and following Him, certainly. Anything else? Okay. So, uh, eager pursuit. Yeah, keeping God's word, so not lagging behind, I think you could say, Chad, and then keeping. Verse 57, I promise to keep your words. Verse 60, I hasten, did not delay to keep your commandments. Verse 63, I'm a companion of those who fear you and those who keep your precepts. So sometimes when you see a word that is repeated, that gives you a clue to the theme. And there are times where if you go through a psalm like this, you may wonder what's the connection. It's challenging sometimes to find the connections that weave through the verses. And certainly the whole psalm is filled with references to the word of God. It's filled with prayer. And yes, drawing near to God uh, is, is something that the psalmist continually desires to do and knows that he needs to do. Look again at that verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. And that's a, that's a promise that as you make it to the Lord, you make a commitment to the Lord. Uh, without God's help, you will fail. 
sort of like uh, my wife and I spent some time on an anniversary in Washington, D.C., and we stayed at my aunt and uncle's home, and they had a dog named Sadie. And my aunt said, you're welcome to stay. If you could just watch over, keep Sadie for us, take her out when she needs to go out and bring her back in, she'll pretty much stay put. And the way that she was describing Sadie was Sadie's near the grave. I mean, Sadie's old and it looks like she could die maybe even before you come. This was what she was saying on the telephone. And so I've got this perspective of this dog. And uh, I think when we got there, met Sadie, didn't go out right away, but we were going to go out, I believe, and wanted to let her out before we were going to be gone for a little while. So we opened the cage, and this is a suburban area. They lived in a townhome, lots of other townhomes to the side and community of townhomes. And they had a walk, a path behind their house that was kind of a walk, park sort of walk through their neighborhood and even, you know, had doggy bags and things that people could take care of their pets as they go. And so I'm just really thinking, you know, going to let Sadie out. She's going to do her business and come back in. Well, as soon as I opened the door, Sadie was gone. She took off, and I remember thinking, oh, no, (laughs) I have misjudged this dog. And what we didn't see but came to see was that Sadie, I don't know if she knew these people or whatever, but she just headed a certain direction. And, of course, I'm now running with a leash trying to catch up with this dog. And... Sadie decided to make her way through uh, this big field of grass and right onto the patio porch of a family and their door was open and they were having a birthday party. She went right into that house. And of course, there's all kinds of excitement when that happened. <laughs> and I'm, I'm catching up with her and I'm realizing that she had been in there and she's now coming out, but not really coming for me. She's not looking for me. She's looking for, you know, green grass elsewhere. And I, of course, I, now I'm apologizing to these people whose birthday party uh, Sadie had just uh, visited. And uh, the little girl whose birthday it was said, oh, what a cute dog. I want to pet the dog. And I'm thinking, I want to pet the dog, too. <laughs> I want to just catch this dog. Uh, we we got Sadie. And Sadie came back. And I, I had misjudged Sadie. But I didn't do that again, I don't believe. Um. And I, I don't remember if I told my aunt and uncle about it right away. I don't think I did. But I thought to myself when they're out walking Sadie and they meet those neighbors and this little girl comes up and is so excited to meet Sadie again, they're going to wonder, how did Sadie meet this girl in the first place? Well, it's because Sadie's keeper just misjudged, right? And we can misjudge can't we, when we say something to the Lord, like what is said in verse 57, the Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words, or I have said that I would keep your words. You ever said that to the Lord? I will. I'll do that. And really, I think the psalmist here is helping us with 
ways in which we can keep God's words. He's giving us some guidance through these words. Uh, One piece of that guidance is the relationship that we have to the Lord that you see there in verse 57. That promise to do is attached to a person, a being, God. And God's words are just there on the pages for us, and we might say, I will keep them, but we have to remember there's a God in heaven who spoke those words. And the way that David begins this stanza is literally with the words, my portion. And some even view what he's saying there in that first sentence is, my portion, Yahweh. It's a direct address to him. My portion, Yahweh, I have said that I would keep your words. And so this personal relationship is related to the promise that he makes. A portion in Scripture is oftentimes an inheritance of land. When someone receives a portion or an inheritance, That this word is the word that's used. And when Israel was given the land of Israel, remember that all of those pieces of land were portioned out. They were given to the different tribes and to to the families within the tribes. There was one tribe that didn't receive any land, and it was the Levites. And what was the Levites' portion? Their portion was the Lord. Their portion was the service of the Lord and the tabernacle, and that's what belonged to them. Now, they had places to live. But in terms of possession, the Lord said to them that he was their portion. And you know what? They got the best part. They got the best part. When you think about the portion that you have in this world, and you, for instance, look at the wicked, and you look at those who live in this world and who live for this world, you can see what they have. Psalm 17, verse 14 says, the portion of the wicked is in this life. That's what they have. But that portion is going to disappear. But if your portion is the Lord, not only are there blessings now, but there are blessings eternally. Lazarus didn't really have much of a portion. He was taking crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, but he did have the Lord and his portion in eternity continued on. And the portion of the rich man, remember, was to be in the lake of fire, to be in Hades. And so when we think about a portion and this person, God, that we have, what more do we need? We certainly don't need the portion that this world has. William Plummer said, he who has this inheritance, speaking of God, has no cause to envy the most prosperous or favored of the sons of the earth. And so I'd ask you tonight, 
what is your portion? What do you value? Do you really possess that relationship with the Lord? Or are you envious of those whose portion is in this life only? What does it profit a man, Jesus said, if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And certainly in the context of that, loses any delight or joy in the presence of God eternally. So when he says here, the Lord is my portion, what he values is the Lord. And he's promising to the Lord that he would keep his words. This is what is most meaningful, most important to him. But following that promise, there's also prayer. So verse 58 continues with the request that God would help him. And if you make a promise, if you make a resolution, maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions, you need the Lord's help. So as I promise to keep God's words, that promise should be accompanied with a prayer, Lord, help me. And that seems to be the sense of verse 58 when he says, I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. And really, we can't just take the Lord as our portion without submitting to him and submitting ourselves and our path to him. God is not at our beck and call to do our will. We are at his. We are his servants. He's the master. He's the king. We're his subjects, and we do need his help. And so David says here, I sought his favor. Literally, I sought his face with all my heart. And when God shows his face to his people, when he causes his face to shine upon his people, that is his favor. When he hides his face and his people don't see his face, they don't see his favor. So this is seeking and entreating the presence and the face of the one who can help us. And notice the prayer at the end of the verse. This is actually a prayer. I'd encourage you to take some time and look through scripture, maybe just the cross references. Or you could do a search or just read through the Psalms and see the prayer that he makes at the end of verse 58 is a common prayer throughout the Psalms. Be gracious to me. It's really just those words. It doesn't always have in the Psalms, according to your word, but be gracious to me. 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 It's throughout the Psalms. And it's for different reasons. There are times when the psalmist is asking God to hear his prayers by grace. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer, Psalm 4. Be gracious to me and deliver me out of trouble, Psalm 9, Psalm 25. Be gracious to me and forgive me, Psalm 51. Be gracious to me and strengthen me when I have been betrayed, Psalm 41 verse 8, when someone has trampled upon you, Psalm 51, be gracious to me. When you are afflicted and needy, be gracious to me. Show me favor. Give what I do not deserve, and grace is never deserved. Grace is something that God gives. He enables us and strengthens us by his grace, but he doesn't ever do that because we deserve it. None of us deserve it. 
someone has said the only reason for grace is grace. It's just free. But it does come from a source who is eternal, who himself is gracious, and he loves to dispense his grace. He sits upon the throne of grace. And when we call out to him, be gracious to me, this is something he delights to do. And when it's his word that we desire to keep, and we say, be gracious to me that I might keep your words, of course he's going to dispense that grace and help. He loves to do that. When we see him describing himself in Exodus, when he passes before Moses and shows him his glory, remember what he says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. There's the word. And compassionate is that love that God has that he expresses in emotion towards those who belong to him. And then that grace that he gives is that enablement and help. And the psalmist here is saying, I promised, but in light of that promise, be gracious to me and help me. And I just encourage you, as you seek to obey the Lord, I hope that your desire is to obey the Lord as one of the children of the Lord, if you know the Lord, that in addition to wanting to follow him and making him your portion, that you'll also ask him day by day for help. You need help. I need help. We don't do this on our own. In fact, in the church, we realize that God has gifted us and we minister to one another. Not only do we need the Lord's help, we need the Lord's help through his people, who as they use their gifts, they help one another. That's why it's a blessing to be able to meet together and speak to one another. So yes, God gives grace. He loves to be gracious. He sits upon a throne of grace and a great verse, Isaiah 30, promise within the prophets. Therefore, Isaiah said, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He desires to be gracious to you. So you think that prayer is going to be met with an answer? Yes. The Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. It's a wonderful promise and a truth about the Lord that he longs to be gracious and that he dispenses that grace, and we can seek him for grace. Now, there's one other condition that we see throughout the word of God for grace. What is it? It's humility. God gives grace to the humble. And there is humility in the asking. There's humility even in the recognition that I need it. So I want to encourage you to seek the Lord, to seek his grace, to seek his help, to obey his words. And we need that every single day of our lives. One other reason we need it is because not only can we not keep the promise in and of ourselves, but he says it even a little bit more directly in verse 59 in that he references his own disposition. What is your disposition? Notice what he says, verse 59, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. 
I promise to keep God's word, but I need his grace. And why do I need his grace? Because as I considered my ways, my feet aren't even pointed in the right direction. They're not even aiming the right way. In fact, it's either wandering off the path or sometimes because of our rebellion, we're actually going the opposite way. And this is something the psalmist does personally here, something that we need to grow in in our life, and that is reflection upon our ways. Reflecting upon the direction that I'm headed in my life, the things that I'm doing. It's a self-awareness, and our conscience does help. The Word of God helps as we consider our ways, and we compare our ways to what God has said. And then as we do that, we realize we're either off the path or going the wrong direction, and we need to get on the right path and go the right direction. Psalm, or Proverbs 4.27 says, Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Are you walking in an evil path? Are you pursuing evil or wickedness? And you might say, well, it's not really a very big thing. If it's evil, the Lord hates it. And if you're one of the Lord's children, you ought to hate it. And as you compare your ways to God's word, the reason you know that it's wicked is because God commands otherwise. He commands you to walk in the straight path and according to his law. And when you see that you're not, God can and give, give you grace and enable you to turn your feet to walk in his testimonies, to walk according to his words. If you look at Proverbs Chapter 1, there's a call to a young man to keep his feet from the path of the wicked. In Proverbs 7, it's a call to sons to not turn aside to the ways of the strange woman. In Isaiah 59, the feet of the wicked are the ones that run to evil. If we find that our feet are pointed in that direction, we need to turn, turn away. Isaiah 59, verse 7, he describes those who are wandering away from the Lord, going the wrong direction, their feet run to evil, he says, they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, devastation and destruction are in their highways. So that turn from wandering or that turn from going the opposite direction is really a practical thing. It's a turn of repentance. It's a turn because of faith in God's word and the truthfulness of it and the direction of it. And when I place my faith in that and I've made a promise to the Lord and I've asked him for help, he can help me get on the right path again. It's a wonderful thing when he helps us to get on the right path, to get back to the place where we're in fellowship with the father. That's what happened with the prodigal. That's what happened to David when Nathan reproved him. David confessed, I've sinned. 
get back to that place where there is daily communion with God, listening to the voice of God, and really accepting at times the chastening of God for wandering off the path. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. Now, notice verse 60. There's a turning to the right path. There's a knowledge of what that right path is after what appears to be repentance. But then there's an eagerness. Look at verse 60. He says, I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. When you know what the right way is, when God has shown you that you're in the wrong path, what's your response? And what I would say is that faith in the Lord does not delay. Doesn't wait. Doesn't put it off. Doesn't say, I'll do that later. No, it's right now. And it's right to get right now, not to wait. Spurgeon, in his book called The Golden Alphabet, said delay in repentance is increase of sin. To be slow to keep the commands of God is to break them. Much evil is found in a lagging pace when God's commands are to be followed. Many are eager to obey custom and society, yet they are slow in serving God. It is a crying shame, he said, that people would be served quickly while God's work would be ignored or performed with vague negligence. God deserves honor. He deserves obedience. The angels who excel in strength obey the Lord. His glance or his direction to them as one of the songwriters said, is they they hasten to obey him. They do his will because they're in subjection to him. They look upon us, no doubt, and wonder how we could be so lagging in our obedience to the Almighty. This is the Almighty. So David is right here to say, I hastened when God gave grace and help and turned, he turned his feet into the way. I hastened and did not delay. I think it's helpful to consider what causes delay in obedience. I was thinking about people in scripture who delayed at some point when they knew the right thing to do, they just hesitated. Remember the people? on the mountain when the Lord displayed that he was God and Elijah's calling them. And he said, if, if Yahweh is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And they had to wait for that fire from heaven before they proclaimed that the Lord or Yahweh, he is the God, but they delayed, they waited because their heart affection was on something else. Remember Lot? Scripture says he lingered in Sodom, even though he knew that the Lord was going to destroy the place. He lingered. He waited. He waited in a place of destruction. Maybe he was thinking about his family. 
But the angels had said, let's get out of this place. And it was only the mercy and compassion of the Lord that those angels laid their hands on Lot and his family and took them out of the city. He delayed. God was still merciful. And then there's Lot's wife. As they're making their way away from that city, and God said, don't turn back, don't even look back. And at some point, whatever thought occurred to her about what was back in that city, maybe it was her home, maybe it was her possessions. We don't really know what it was, but we know that she stopped and disobeyed the Lord and she turned and she turned into a pillar of salt. And Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. That delay, that turn, that turn back to the world and back to whatever she desired cost her her life. Sometimes there is just really a refusal to obey the Lord at all. person who is unmoved by any rebuke, I think of Absalom. Sometimes there are those who are blinded by lust and will not heed the call, even if someone pleads with them like Amnon. Some don't realize the danger to the path, and when they're called to obey, they don't think about what's ahead, and they just go like the ox to the slaughter, as Proverbs says. Sometimes people lack conviction that the righteous path is the right path, and they're always deliberating in the way. I don't know if I want to do that. That's not a deliberation of faith. It's a deliberation of doubt. And these are the words of God. These are the ones, words of the one who always speaks the truth. Sometimes it's friends who influence a person towards the wrong path and cause them to delay. And sometimes people just refuse to think about it. The truth is presented to them, but they just say, don't trouble me with that. Don't trouble me with the facts. Felix, in Acts chapter 24, when he was listening to Paul reason, he said, go away, I'll call you again at a convenient time. He was hearing the truth. He was being pointed in the right way. But he said, later on. He pushed it away. And if you read the story there in Acts chapter 24, he did call Paul back. But what did he want from Paul? You know what he wanted from Paul? He wanted some money. Rather than Paul's God and heaven, what Felix wanted was Paul, who maybe he thought was independently wealthy, to give him some money so that then he could get him out. How much better is the response of Zacchaeus when it came to the commands of God? Remember, Christ came to Zacchaeus, who's up in the tree just so he can see Jesus, and Zacchaeus is told, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And the scripture literally says that he hurried. This little man climbing down from that tree so he can get to his house so that he can host Jesus. And when he does... Of course, people are grumbling around. He's gone to be a guest in the house of a man who is a sinner. 
and Zacchaeus, immediately when the Lord said, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus knew the issues in his life, and he begins to tell the Lord what he's going to do. Repentance for Zacchaeus was immediate. It was half of my possessions I'll give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone anything, I'll give four times back as much. He was willing, ready to get right, willing, ready to repent, not putting it off. And what did Jesus say? Today, salvation's come to your house. Can I ask a question in relation to verse 60 here? Are you delaying to obey the Lord when you know that you should? It's very clear what you need to do. You're convicted about it. You think about it. You know what you ought to do, but you have refused and you're delaying. For what good reason, in light of who God is, are you delaying? How is it going to help to increase your guilt and sin for refusing to do what God has said and directed? And even even with those words of application, sometimes what we do is we hear words like that and we just like, we just want, we don't want to hear them. Stop saying that. I want to think about something else. Bridges, Charles Bridges, as he wrote in this psalm, he said, beware of smothering early convictions. They may prove the first dawn of eternal day upon the soul. First visit of the quickening spirit to the heart. Guard them with unceasing watchfulness. Nourish them with believing prayer. Is there conviction rising in your heart that you know that you need to do something? Why would you put that off? Why would you smother that if it's the right thing to do? No, the right attitude is, I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. Today, now, is the right time, whether that's coming to God in salvation or turning from your sin. Because you don't know the cost of delay. The cost of delay for Lot and his family would have been utter destruction. And praise the Lord, we have that example of the mercy of God who helped Lot and answered the prayer of Abraham to bring him out of the city and rescue him. So I just want to set that before you and we'll conclude this portion, Lord willing, the next time we get together. But I want to encourage you to meditate on these verses and ask the Lord to help you. If you've chosen him as your portion, you've promised to keep his words, you've said Lord to him, you've confessed him as Lord, he is your master, you're willing to follow, you need his help. So pray, be gracious to me. And when you see that your feet are not in the right path, turn to the right path. And do it quickly. Don't delay. Don't wait. And the Lord will help you. He delights to help you. He longs to be gracious to you that you might obey him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you know 
the hearts. You know my heart. And you know, Lord, when we are delaying to do what is right, what is pleasing to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would overcome the sinful objections that we raise. Convince us, Lord, of the right path and turn our feet and help us, like Zacchaeus, to hurry to obey, knowing that it's the truth, knowing that you are a portion, knowing that you will give grace to help us. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.